Hello and welcome once again to another archive edition of Funtime Horror Show. In today's episode, we are going to release another creepypasta. I think uh, as far as archives go, it, this is going to be the second of three total that we had done back in the day. This one entitled The Russian Sleep Experiment. Uh, in order to kind of tell you what this is about, I'm just going to go straight over to Wikipedia and read to you what they say about the Russian sleep experiment so you know what to expect in this episode. By the way, it's not a true story. It's just something creepy as shit that we did for fun, and we hope that you guys have a lot of fun listening to it. So with that said, the Russian sleep experiment is a creepypasta, which tells the tale of five test subjects being exposed to an experimental sleep-inhibiting stimulant in the Soviet-era scientific experiment, which has become the basis of an urban legend. Many news organizations, including Snopes, News.com.au, and LiveAbout, trace the story's origin to a website now known as Creepypasta Wiki, being posted on August 10, 2010, by a user named Orange Soda, whose real name is unknown. So this is going to be our third archives, the third and last archive that we release at this time. Uh, all keeping with the trend of Ukrainian slash Russian blah. I don't know what to look at this. Explain it, please. We are doing themed releases for our archive. Themed releases. All centered around Russian slash Ukrainian. Centralized. Lore. And that's that's it. That's it. That's how we're doing it. <laughs> Sorry. All right, guys. Thank you very much, Lucas. Yeah, you know, you're you're the poet, dude, of this. Like, I I'm like all the I'm the looks. You're the brains. Well, no, you're the looks, and you're the Dr. Dre of the podcasting beats. I am, and then I'm the guy that reads three books and has all the words. Yes, I don't need to know shit in order to click record on the podcast. You're a highly intelligent human being. <laughs> and sometimes I have to click save too. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> All right guys. Hey, have a have a lot of fun with this episode. I had a blast making it. It's definitely one of my fun uh favorite creepy pastas of all time. I hope you guys feel the same way. We'll see you soon. Protect your booty. Hello and welcome to the Funtime Freak Show. If you're here, you pretty much know what to expect. This show could, and probably will contain graphic details of violence, and give descriptions of sexual conduct. As you're tuning into this show, you obviously are very sexy and a very intelligent person and won't attempt any of what we talk about at home. But, listener discretion is still highly advised. Now, on to the Freak Show. Funtime Freak Show. I'm your Funtime Freaky Ass Podcast host, Tommy, back again with another creepy pasta to share with you. As I stated before, these are really fun to do because it allows me to hone in my skills on the production side of, you know, when doing these shows by doing like some creepy music, maybe adding in some sound effects and trying to hone in my voice. Speaking of voice, this is officially the first show I'll be doing with my brand new equipment, so I hope you enjoy the savory sounds. I'm really excited to try this stuff out, and honestly, with our Patreon support, 
This is the kind of stuff I want to do. I want to take the investments that you guys are making and continue to make the show even better than before. But with that said, we've made hundreds of dollars in income up to this point, and somehow I've managed to figure out a way to spend thousands doing the show, so our balance sheet is a little out of whack. It's kind of funny because there's like a ton of kids out there in the world who are probably making amazing podcasts for free, and somehow I've managed to spend a ton of money doing it. Hopefully, as we grow over the next year, though, that balance uh, will start to work its way out. If you have friends that enjoy this show that you know don't support our Patreon because maybe they don't even know about it, maybe you can give them a little nudge for us. More behind the scenes for you regarding the Funtime Horror Show. Lucas and I have not stopped writing, okay? I know a lot of people think that it's possible that the show might be over, and it's it's not over, Okay, we were just confused or wondering about which direction should we take it into as we come back from break. We're taking a break to basically not have due dates kind of like hanging over our heads for a little while, but we're still staying active. I'm not sure exactly what Lucas is working on right now, but I know he's up to something. For me, I just started looking into a story about this guy named Richard Chase, also known as the Vampire of Sacramento. So that's kind of what I'm going to be working on next. I'm pretty sure other podcasts have covered his story because I know I've heard his story somewhere, but I can't quite put my finger on it. But either way, I'm going to do the story because it checks all the boxes for our show. And I don't think we've done a proper cannibal show yet up to this point. A sneak peek, if you don't know his story, in short, he was a mentally disturbed individual that couldn't get his penis hard. He thought it was from having a lack of blood in his system, so he started killing animals to drink their blood. From there, things get really out of hand. So that's enough behind the scenes for now. Let's get into some of the background on this story before we begin. And like the last couple of episodes that we've done here on Freak Show, I would like to start with a personal story. So a couple of years ago, Lucas was telling me a story about something that happened while he was working at another company, which ultimately led him to get on, you know, some anxiety meds for a short time. He had left the company we were both working for in order to get a little extra money. But like a lot of things, the grass wasn't any greener. Matter of fact, there was no grass to be found. And all that there was was a huge field just covered in shit. So every day he went to work, the more shit he had to work through in order to get his job done. We've all been there at one point or another in our lives, so I'm sure you know where I'm coming from. But this experience for him got quite extreme, where it affected his eating, his health, and most importantly, his sleep. He was telling me that at one point, leading up to his eventual breaking point at his job, he counted about 11 consecutive days where he didn't get any sleep. I asked him what it was like, and briefly he told me that for the first couple of days, you just kind of feel really, really tired, and that's understandable. By day three, you start to feel demoralized. You know that you should be asleep, but you just lay in bed and stare at the sun, go down, and then watch it as it comes up again. Your eyes never shutting, all the while listening to your family snore and knowing that you should be asleep as well. By day four, you're now engulfed into like this sadness. 
and on day five, that sadness turns into complete anger. A couple of days later, anger exists now alongside of fear. Although there's no sleep happening, as in actual deep REM sleep, you begin having dreams, even though your eyes are open. This begins to skew reality where you're kind of going through your day, but you're constantly questioning the reality of everything that you're seeing. You begin to have thoughts in your head, but those thoughts materialize into words and stuff that you would normally not be saying out loud begin spewing from your mouth. In other words, you can't tell if what you're thinking is what you're saying and what you're saying is actually just thoughts that are passing through your heads. By day 11, Lucas was in a living hell. He was full of pure mental and physical agony. He was not only paranoid and began hallucinating, but began physically having convulsions. So he quit his job, and his family rushed him to the doctor to seek treatment. A combination of eliminating that daily stress that that job was causing, combined with a prescription filled out by the doctor, pulled him out of those dark depths. Now he and I worked together again at the same company, bitching about our daily interactions with some of the dumb people we encountered. But thankful, that's the worst of it. Lucas's story is interesting because as I did some research for this upcoming story, according to Healthline.com, the longest recorded session of someone going without sleep was about 11 days. In other words, it's possible that Lucas tied this record. Also, according to the site, it's unclear how long someone could actually survive without sleep but they do confirm that after only three to four days without proper sleep, people have reported hallucinations. Also, after a few days, one might encounter cognitive impairments, irritability, delusions, paranoia, and psychosis. All of these things confirm Lucas's testimony. They say actually dying from not sleeping is rare, but has apparently happened. Those stories can be saved for another day when I can't think of anything else to write about. In short, going without sleep raises blood pressure, increases risk of heart attack, causes strokes, adds to obesity, which is why I have to wear a CPAP apparently, can increase the risk of type 2 diabetes, and creates or causes mental illness. So today's story that I'm sharing with you is called The Russian Sleep Experiment, hence the reason I told you the story about Lucas's inability to sleep. According to Wikipedia, the story originated from an online forum challenging users to create a scary urban legend. This is based on some research that Snopes and News.com did when trying to uncover the original source of the story. It was linked to a site called Creepypasta Wiki and was said to have originally been posted around 2010 by a user named Orange Soda, whose real name is, of course, unknown. This story is said to be one of the most popular creepypastas in the world, so I'm kind of hoping that you're not familiar with it. And I'm also hoping that this is like the first time that you're actually hearing it. This story has even been called, quote, one of the most shocking and impactful urban legends of the Internet age by Dread Central's Josh Milliken. As I stated before, a lot of arguing happens online about whether or not these stories are actually real. I personally enjoy going into these stories with like an open mind and just assuming that they are real. It makes the experience of hearing the story just that much more fun. A lot of people vouch for the story's validity. 
And on other sites, people are like, nah, this is complete bullshit, whatever. But this story has even been accompanied by pics of what appear to be the actual test subjects. This story has gone on to inspire other works, including a couple of novels and, and at least two films. So check out the story and see if you feel like this is a bullshit story or maybe if this is something that could totally be real. If the story isn't real, maybe it might be based on something that is. If you're a thinker like me, we can all agree that we can't put it past our governments to actually dabble into something like the Russian sleep experiment. And here we go. Russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based stimulant. They were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so the gas didn't kill them, since it was toxic in high concentrations. This was before closed-circuit cameras, so they only had microphones and five-inch-thick glass porthole-sized windows into the chamber to monitor them. The chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep on, but no bedding, running water, a toilet, and enough dried food to last all five over a month. The test subjects were political prisoners deemed enemies of the state during World War II. Everything was fine for the first five days. The subjects hardly complained, having been promised, at least falsely, that they would be freed if they submitted to the test and would not sleep for 30 days. Their conversations and activities were monitored, and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents in their past, and the general tone of their conversations took on a darker aspect on the day four mark. After five days, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they were and started to demonstrate severe paranoia. They stopped talking to each other and began alternately whispering to the microphones and one-way mirrored portholes. Oddly, they all seemed to think that they could win the trust of the experimenters by turning over their comrades, the other subjects in captivity with them. At first, the researchers suspected this was an effect of the gas itself. After nine days, the first of them started screaming. He ran the length of the chamber, repeatedly yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. He continued attempting to scream, but was only able to produce occasional squeaks. The researchers postulated that he had physically torn his vocal cords. The most surprising thing about his behavior is how the other captors reacted to it, or rather, didn't react to it. They continued whispering to the microphones until the second of the captives started to scream. The two non-screaming captives took the books apart, smeared page after page with their own feces, and pasting them calmly over the glass portholes. The screaming promptly stopped. So did the whispering to the microphones. After three more days passed, the researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure that they were in fact working, since they thought it impossible that no sound could be coming 
with five people inside. The oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five must still be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very heavy level of strenuous exercise. On the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something that they said they would not do to get a reaction from the captives. They used the intercom inside the chamber, hoping to provoke any response from the captives that they were afraid were either dead or vegetables. They announced, We are opening the chamber to test the microphone. Step away from the door and lie flat on the floor. You will be shot. Compliance will earn one of your immediate freedom. To their surprise, they heard a single phrase in a calm voice response. We no longer want to be freed. Debate broke out among the researchers and the military forces funding the research. Unable to provoke any more response using the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight on the 15th day. The chamber was flushed of the stimulant gas and filled with fresh air, and immediately voices from the microphones began to object. Three different voices began begging, as if pleading for the life of loved ones to turn the gas back on. The chamber was opened and soldiers went in to retrieve the test subjects. They began to scream louder than ever, and so did the soldiers when they saw what was inside. Four of the five subjects were still alive, although no one could rightly call the state of any of them life. The food rations past day five had not been so much as touched. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subject's thighs and chest stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber, blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate on the floor. Precisely how much of the water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. All four surviving test subjects also had large portions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. The destruction of flesh and exposed bone on their fingertips indicated that the wounds were inflicted by hand, not with teeth, as the researchers initially thought. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most of, if not all of them, were self-inflicted. The abominable organs below the ribcage of all four test subjects had been removed, while the heart lungs and diaphragm remained in place the skin and most of the muscles attached to the ribs had been ripped off exposing the lungs through the rib cage all the blood vessels and organs remained intact they had just been taken out and laid on the floor fanning out around the eviscerated but still living bodies of the subjects the digestive tract of all four could have been seen working digesting food it quickly became apparent that what they were digesting was their own flesh that they had ripped off and eaten over the course of those days. Most of the soldiers were Russian special operatives at the facility, but still many refused to return to the chamber to remove the test subjects. They continued to scream to be left into the chamber and alternately begged and demanded that the gas be turned back on lest they fall asleep. To everyone's surprise, the test subjects put up such a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the chamber. One of the Russian soldiers died from having his throat ripped out. 
Another one was gravely injured by having his testicles ripped off and an artery in his leg severed by one of the subject's teeth. Another five soldiers lost their lives, if you count the ones that committed suicide, in the weeks following the incident. In the struggle, one of the four living subjects had his spleen ruptured and he bled out almost immediately. The medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. He was injected with more than 10 times the human dose of a morphine derivative and still fought like a cornered animal, breaking the ribs and arm of one doctor. One heart was seen to beat for more than two full minutes after he had bled out to the point where there was more air in his vascular system than blood. Even after it stopped, he continued to scream and flail for another three minutes, struggling to attack anyone in reach and just repeating the word, more, over and over, weaker and weaker, until he finally fell silent. The surviving three test subjects were heavily restrained and moved to a medical facility. The two with intact vocal cords continuously begging for the gas, demanding to be kept awake. The most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room that the facility had. In the process of preparing the subject to have his organs placed back into his body, it was found that he was effectively immune to the sedative that they were given to him to prepare him for the surgery. He fought furiously against the restraints when the anesthetic gas was brought out to put him under. He managed to tear most of the way through a four inch wide leather strap on one wrist, even through the weight of a 200 pound soldier holding that wrist as well. It took only a little more anesthetic than normal to put him under, and the instant his eyelids fluttered and closed, his heart stopped. In the autopsy of the test subject that died on the operating table, it was found that his blood had triple the normal level of oxygen. His muscles that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn and he had broken nine bones in his struggle not to be subdued. Most of them were from the force his own muscles had exerted on them. The second survivor had been the first of the group to start screaming. His vocal cords destroyed, he was unable to beg or object to surgery and he only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him. He shook his head yes when someone suggested, reluctantly, they tried the surgery without anesthetic, and did not react for the entire six-hour procedure of replacing his abdominal organs and attempting to cover them with what remained of his skin. The surgeon presiding stated repeatedly, that it should be medically impossible for the patient to still be alive. One terrified nurse assisting the surgery stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers. When the surgery ended, the subject looked up at the surgeon and began to wheeze loudly, attempting to talk while struggling. Assuming this must be something of a drastic importance, the surgeon had a pen and pad fetched so the patient could write down his message. And the message was simple. Keep cutting. The other two test subjects were given the same surgery, both without anesthetic as well. 
although they had to be injected with a paralytic for the duration of the operation. The surgeon found it impossible to perform the operation while the patients laughed continuously. Once paralyzed, the subjects could only follow the attending researchers with their eyes. The paralytic cleared their system in an abnormally short period of time, and they were soon trying to escape their bonds. The moment they could speak, they were again asking for the stimulant gas. The researchers tried asking why they had injured themselves, why they had ripped out their own guts, and why they wanted to be given the gas again. Only one response was given. I must remain awake. All three subjects' restraints were reinforced and they were placed back into the chamber, awaiting determination as to what should be done with them. The researchers, facing the wrath of their military benefactors for having failed the stated goals of their project, considered euthanizing the surviving subjects. The commanding officer, an ex-KGB, instead saw potential and wanted to see what would happen if they were put back on the gas. The researchers strongly objected, but they were overruled. In preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor and had their restraints padded for long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stopped struggling the moment it was let slip that they were going back into the gas. It was obvious that, at this point, all three were putting up a great struggle to stay awake. One of the subjects could speak, was humming loudly and continuously. The mute subject was straining his legs against the leather bonds with all of his might, first left, then right, then left again, for something to focus on. The remaining subject was holding his head off of his pillow and blinking rapidly. Having been the first to be wired for EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brainwaves in surprise. They were normal most of the time, but sometimes flatlined inexplicably. It looked as if he were repeatedly suffering brain death before returning to normal. As they focused on paper scrolling out the brainwave monitor, only one nurse saw his eyes slip shut. At the same moment, his head hit the pillow. His brainwaves immediately changed to that of deep sleep, then flatlined for the last time as his heart simultaneously stopped. The only remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed in now. His brainwaves showed the same flat lines as the one that had just died from falling asleep. The commander gave the order to seal the chamber with both subjects inside, as well as three researchers. One of the named three immediately drew his gun and shot the commander point-blank between the eyes, then turned the gun on the mute subject and blew his brains out as well. He pointed the gun at the remaining subject, still restrained to a bed, as the remaining members of the medical and research team fled the room. I won't be locked in here with those things. Not with you, he screamed at the man strapped to the table. What are you? he demanded. I must know. The subject smiled. Have you forgotten so easily? The subject asked. We are you. We are the madness that lurks within all, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide 
from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go into the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread. The researcher paused, then aimed at the subject's heart and fired. The EEG flatlined as the subject weakly choked out. So nearly free. the Russian sleep experiment and I have hoped that you thoroughly enjoyed hearing it as much as I have putting it together for you. It was a little bit shorter than I remember so sorry about such a short episode but I kind of missed you guys a lot I wanted to do something for you. If you heard this episode it means that you're a financial supporter of the show so again thank you so much in you know your belief into our programming at least enough to send in that monthly donation. On the horizon, I have a few things in the works, but it really takes two people to do it. And with my recent upgrades, I only felt comfortable enough to buy one mic as of right now. So those projects are on hold, but it doesn't mean that I'm not really excited about them. I'm going to pay some things off here in the near future. And once that's done, I'm going to upgrade again to, with the uh, second mic. That also doesn't mean I can't give you guys a preview of what's to come. So, in one episode, I'm going to share a new book I bought with you guys. Kind of like a book review episode, if you will. It's a choose-your-own-adventure book, but made for adults. And the subject matter is about surviving the zombie apocalypse, and I thought it would be fun to get a guest in the studio to run through an entire situation and record that for you guys. Um, The second idea that I had was inspired by the first idea. But in this case, I'm actually writing my own Choose Your Adventure story. It's kind of like more like an actual collection of short stories as opposed to like one long book. And to kind of show you guys what I'm talking about, like here's the first thing that I wrote. You're a 12-year-old kid in the 1980s riding your bike around the neighborhood one cold morning performing your paper out and listening to Salt and Peppa on your Sony Walkman cassette player. A van without windows pulls up and the driver... A man with a really horrible comb-over, who says his name is Sam, begins to tell you a story about a lost puppy. He says, if you could take a break from your paper route, you can ride along with him, and while he's yelling out the dog's name from the driver's window, you can do the same from the passenger side, and when you see the dog, he'll stop, and then you can run after him. After all, he's got a really bad hip, and he's unable to chase after the dog himself. So that's kind of like the situation. And the answers that I will give to whoever my guest is at the time will be A, you get inside the van and help this poor man find his only friend in the world. B, you tell him no thanks because your mom always told you not to talk to strangers. C, you explain to him as much as you'd like to help, you take your job very seriously, and you continue on your route delivering the morning paper to your neighbors. So for each one of those, I kind of wrote a really off-the-wall scenario. And the answer may not be the answer that you think it is, which is what's going to make it fun. 
to the fact that I'm kind of like setting some bait for someone to pick certain answers, uh, which actually turn out to be horribly, horribly wrong, is why I'm thinking about naming the episode the You Can't Win Game. So as of now, I've written down four scenarios, each with three answers, and each of those answers are an entire story in themselves. So I think it'll be pretty fun. And it's given me an opportunity to be creative with my writing. So um, again, I'm not going to give you the ending to that question yet, but hopefully the small preview gets you kind of thinking about it. If you, if I can't get that second mic fast enough, I'll figure out a way to kind of tell that story solo so I can get it shared with you guys quickly. And with that said, I think I've talked enough for one day. I love you guys. And as always, protect that booty. I'm out. <laughs>